Let's open our Bibles to Romans chapter 1 and take up with the fifth verse. Romans chapter 1, verse 5. We have a seven-verse salutation opening the epistle to the Romans. We have looked at the first four verses. Let's look at verse 5. Let me read to you verses 5, 6, and 7. By whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. Among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. By whom we have received grace and apostleship. Paul is speaking for himself and the other apostles that they had received the grace of God to put them into the office of apostle. He is speaking of God's grace in a sense beyond just the grace of salvation, but the grace that brought him into the ministry. He would say in Galatians chapter 1, But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen. That was the grace of God that was in Paul's life to make him a minister. It's a grace that was given to him beyond the grace of salvation. Romans 15 will tell us the same thing if you turn there briefly. In Romans chapter 15 and verse 15. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you in some sort, as putting you in mind because of the grace that is given to me of God, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. So I want you to notice when verse 5 says, By whom we have received grace and apostleship, the plural pronoun is not Paul and the Romans, because they didn't receive apostleship, and they didn't receive the grace that's under consideration in the first clause. It's the grace of apostleship. And Paul's speaking of himself and other apostles and the ministers who took the gospel to the nations, as the verse goes on to describe. Remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15.10. But what I am, I am by the grace of God. And the grace that was bestowed upon me was not bestowed in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. That was ministerial grace. That was grace to be an apostle, and he used it diligently. He used it more diligently than any other apostle in his inspired opinion that the Holy Spirit allowed him to write in 1 Corinthians 15. By whom? The whom is the Lord Jesus Christ. Concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, is the subject of verses 3 and 4. And it's Jesus Christ that put Paul in the ministry. Was it Jesus that knocked him down on the road to Damascus? Was it Jesus that appeared to him? Does he say that he was an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ by the will of God, by the commandment of God, but by the Lord Jesus Christ because the gift of apostle was from Jesus to Paul. God gave them to Jesus and Jesus gave them to Paul. Psalm 68 and verse 18 says that when Jesus ascended up on high... He received gifts for men. When Paul quotes that passage in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 8 through 11, he says when Jesus rose up on high, he gave gifts unto men. Jesus received them from God and in turn gave them to men. Amen. And that was the grace of God to put men like Paul, or Saul of Tarsus we should say, 
into the ministry of being an apostle to bring the gospel to Gentiles, or we wouldn't have heard it. By whom we have received grace and apostleship. Paul and the other apostles from Christ received grace and were put into the office of apostle. And what was the purpose for them being put in that office? For obedience to the faith among all nations. That obedience is not Paul's obedience. That obedience is what Paul would extract from his hearers in all nations. It's the obedience to the faith among all nations. Look at chapter 16 and the last three verses so that I can show you that in another text and compare Scripture with Scripture. He is speaking to those that were among all nations, and Paul was not among all nations. Paul went to nations, but it doesn't say for the obedience to nations, or it says among nations. And he's going to mention the Romans in the next verse by saying they were one category of those among the nations. It was Paul's ministry to preach the gospel and to bring men to obey the faith. And the faith is the religion of Jesus Christ. Here is one of those first, the first use of the word faith in the book of Romans is not the way that it's often used of you believing or trusting something or someone. It's describing the religion of Jesus Christ, the faith, the religion, the doctrine, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul's purpose in his apostleship was to get men to obey that form of religion. The last three verses of chapter 16. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began but now is made manifest and by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the everlasting God made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. See, it's faith that's necessary to obey and it's the faith that we choose to obey. It's the religion of Jesus Christ that we do obey, but it's faith that causes us to obey. Paul was, Paul was faithful to his ministerial calling to go and preach the gospel to get his hearers to obey the doctrine and gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me give you a couple of other references about this word faith used in such a way. In chapter 3, we're going to have the words, For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? Now, when we read those words, the faith of God, that's not God exercising faith in Romans chapter 3. That is the religion of God. If some do not believe, does that mean God's promises, God's prophecies are going to be of no effect? No, their unbelief doesn't have a thing to do with it. God's religion is still valid. God's religion is still true. God's promises will still come to pass. How about James chapter 2 where it says, My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ and respective persons. That faith of the Lord Jesus Christ is not Jesus Christ having faith. That's not Jesus Christ believing or trusting. That is the religion or doctrine or gospel of Jesus Christ. And James was writing his audience saying, Don't mix the religion of Jesus Christ with respective persons. Because in Jesus Christ's religion, there is no respective persons. My brethren, have not the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ with respective persons. You don't want to put those two things together. So we have the faith in Romans chapter 1 and verse 5. 
Do you know what a grace, gracious act it was by God to take Saul of Tarsus and to pour his grace into that man and reveal his son to him that he could preach the gospel among the Gentiles? It is why you have heard the truth. Because Paul's gospel went north and west. And it has come to us by the men that he taught and that he ordained. And thank you, Lord, for Paul. Thank you, Lord, for Paul not squandering the grace of God. His grace, Paul would say, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. So the fifth verse of Romans chapter 1. By Jesus Christ, Paul and the other apostles received grace for the gift of being an apostle. Because when Jesus Christ gave gifts to the church, he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. The highest gift in the church that comes first, the gift of apostle. 1 Corinthians 12, 28. For obedience to the faith among all nations. That's why we preach is to get men to obey the gospel and doctrine and religion of the Lord Jesus Christ. The purpose of the ministry is a ministry of warfare. It is to tear down your strongholds and to cast down the imaginations of your mind and to replace them with the pure doctrine of Jesus Christ. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 4 through 6 describe the ministry that way. It is warfare. It is warfare between the Bible and your thoughts. And a man is put in the office of taking the Bible and making war against your thoughts. Paul said the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And what are those strongholds? Our imaginations, the traditions of men, and the things we've been taught in the past, the things that we think, so that they can all get torn down and a structure can be rebuilt back up based on God's Word. So it's war. Sometimes you may not feel very comfortable. Sometimes you may feel that the lesson is kind of harsh. But listen, life is short. The gospel is important. Therefore, we don't have time to stroke you very much. And I wouldn't know how to do it anyway. So we just preach the gospel and we make war against our imaginations. And that war is fought just as much against my imaginations as against yours. This is the warfare, and it's to get men to obey the gospel. Look at Acts chapter 14 with me so that you can mention this on Thursday as you give thanks for what God has done in your life. Because I want to tell you something, you Gentile dogs. God's been merciful to you, you goyim cattle. And I'm the same. I'm a Gentile dog and I'm a goyim cattle. That's what the Jews refer to us Gentiles as in their rabbinical writings. Acts chapter 14. The Apostle Paul is being worshipped along with Barnabas. Look at, what the, look at verse 12. These poor pagans think that gods have come down from heaven in the form of Paul and Barnabas because they did a miracle. They called Barnabas Jupiter and Paul Mercurius because he was the chief speaker. So Paul and Barnabas are trying to stop a new religion before it gets started. And that, that they're gods that have come down from heaven. They run in among the people and they say in verse 15, Sirs, why do ye these things? We also are men of like passions with you, and preach unto you that ye should turn from these vanities unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein, who in times past 
suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. For thousands of years, God had let other nations walk in their own ways. He did not send a Moses to them. He did not send an Elijah to them. He did not send a Jonah to them. He did not send Zechariah and Haggai and Malachi to them. He sent his prophets to the people of Israel. God, in times past, suffered, meaning he allowed or permitted or put up with all nations to walk in their own ways. Every nation had their own God. Some worshipped Jupiter. Some worshipped Vishnu. Some worshipped Buddha. Some worshipped their ancestors. Some worshipped the Great Spirit. He allowed that. But a change took place with the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, who told His apostles, You wait in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Then ye shall be My witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so the gospel went to the Gentiles. Look at chapter 17. Chapter 17. God just let our ancestors, generation after generation after generation, worship the sun, worship totem poles, worship, as Romans 1 is going to tell us, birds, four-footed beasts, and creeping things. We even got into insect worship. Yep. And if it wasn't for the grace of God, we'd still be there. Amen. Acts chapter 17, verse 30. Paul is preaching to the philosophers in Athens on Mars Hill called the Areopagus. Let's get verse 29. For as much then as we are the offspring of God... We ought not to think that the Godhead is likened to gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's device. He has quoted from a minor Greek prophet and turned that man's reasoning on their religion. And said, how in the world do you think that we ought to be worshipping some image made out of gold or silver? When your own poets have said that we are the offspring of God. Verse 30. In the times of this ignorance, you ignorant philosophers... Do you know how politically correct Paul was? Do you know where he was speaking? He was speaking in the think tank of the known world. Mars Hill of Athens, Greece. In 60 AD. And the times of this ignorance, the kind of ignorance that you men are showing, God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. The times of this ignorance God winked at. How long were those times? 20 years? 200 years or thousands of years? He winked at, but now he commands all men everywhere to repent. And that gospel went into the world by the feet of Paul and the mouth of Paul and the other apostles. Thank you, Lord, for sending the gospel worldwide and that we have heard it. Otherwise, us Gentiles would be out of hope. Ephesians chapter 2 says that we were, as Gentiles, without God and without hope in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are brought nigh by the blood of Christ. Jesus Christ paid for it legally, and the apostles brought the news of it. And Paul said it was wonderful news that the Gentiles could be were grafted in to the kingdom of God. Acts 15 would go so far as to say that the tabernacle of David was being rebuilt by the prophecy of Amos chapter 8 with Gentiles. We're building up the house of David. We are the new nation of David with the son of David on the throne reigning over us and we are dumb Gentiles. 
Praise be to God. Amen. That's what Romans 1.5 is all about. By whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations. For His name. The name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That it is proclaimed everywhere. And Paul proclaimed it on Mars Hill. Paul proclaimed it in Antioch. Paul proclaimed it in Iconium. Paul proclaimed the name of Jesus Christ everywhere. His religion was very simple. That Jesus Christ gets magnified. It was no different than John the Baptist. He must increase. I must decrease. Jesus was lifted up everywhere. So we have that little prepositional phrase, for His name. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 12. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 12. I'd like to show you Paul's emphasis on glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's why Paul preached. Look at 2 Thessalonians 1.12. But the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and ye in Him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Would he drop that name twice in one sentence? He did. He was a name dropper. He was the greatest of name droppers. But the name he loved to drop was the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice it twice in the text. And he preached. And the work of faith that's described in verse 11, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you. That Jesus Christ would be glorified in their changed lives. And that they would be glorified in knowing about him, that he would be glorified in them knowing about him. According to the grace of God. This is why Paul preached. Paul wanted everything to be done to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Back there to Romans chapter 1 and verse 5. By whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations, for His name. This rules out the identity movement. The identity movement says that there are only a few chosen nations on earth that are the children of God and that can be the children of God. The rest are beasts of the field, or the rest are the literal, physical descendants of Satan having sex with Eve. But this is to all nations. Because there is no blood difference in the world when it comes to the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ undoes any blood difference that you ever thought may have existed among men. Right. It's very interesting that all men's blood is transferable among all nations, among all races. Discovered during the Second World War. And proven and practiced. And there's no difference anymore. But there's only one blood that matters. And thanks be to God, in John chapter 1 it says that our regeneration as the children of God is not of blood, nor of the will of man, nor of the will of the flesh, but of God. And the identity movement tries to make grace proportionate to race and to nationality. The identity movement, when I refer to it, Herbert W. Armstrong and the Worldwide Church of God and others that are like him of the same, of the same kind of doctrine teach that the Anglo-Saxons, the English people, are the descendants of the lost ten tribes of Israel, and they are the true children of God. And the Jews are the children of the devil, literally, by being the offspring of Satan having sex with Eve. But the Bible says that the gospel went to all nations, and the Romans were one of them. And the Romans weren't English-speaking, nor were they Anglo, nor were they Saxon. They were Romans. They were Latins and they were Jews. Some of these were Jews. That was the literal offspring of the devil. 
you say, nobody believes that. Really? Millions believe it. It's ridiculous. Millions. We've been saved from it. There's so much we can be saved from just from the... When Paul makes a salutation, it's packed, isn't it? He packed it. Look at that, that fifth verse. For His name. We have received grace for the glory of the name of Jesus Christ. We have received apostleship for the glory of the name of Jesus Christ. What is the faith that we are supposed to obey? It is to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have been saved for the glory of God. We have been saved for His name's sake. He did not save you or me for our name's sake. He did not look at your family name and say, it is too bad that that family's going to hell. I want to rescue some of that family name. He saved you for His name's sake. Not unto us. Do you know how the old, you know how the book of Psalms reads? Not unto us, O Lord. Not unto us give glory, but unto Thyself. Father, glorify Thyself. And Jesus is to be glorified in our religion from top to bottom. For His name. Romans chapter 1 and verse 5. Are you thankful? Are you thankful that God sent the Lord Jesus Christ not only to save you, but then He sent the Lord Jesus Christ to give gifts to men like Saul of Tarsus, who carried the revelation of that salvation so that we could know it. If He had not revealed the truth to us, we would not know of it. Thank you, Lord. We should be so thankful. That is why I will say for the third time, 2 Thessalonians 2.13, But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord. Because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. There is where we are so blessed. Among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. Among all those nations... And the few that would believe in those nations, there was a segment in the city of Rome that were saints, the excellent in the earth, those who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul, in his salutation, has identified himself. Now he identifies them. Jesus Christ was made of the seed of David. Jesus Christ was declared to be the Son of God by his resurrection. I and the other apostles received grace and apostleship to carry the faith to the Gentile nations of the earth, for their obedience, for His namesake, the glorified Son of God, among whom, among those ordained to eternal life, believing elect in the nations, among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. What does it mean to be called? It means to be chosen, ordained, or appointed to eternal life. These Romans were chosen and ordained and appointed to eternal life. Where do we learn the best definition of the word called? 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For ye see your calling, brethren, that not many mighty, not many noble, not many wise are called, but God hath chosen the poor things of the world, and God hath chosen the base things of the world, and God hath chosen... He shows us what the word called means. When the Bible told us that Paul was called to be an apostle, Paul was chosen, ordained, appointed, commanded to be an apostle. When we are called in a passage like this, we're going to understand it the same way based on 1 Corinthians chapter 1 where it describes as being chosen. We're going to look at a verse like Acts 13.48 that says, And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. 
Because these Romans believed. Why did they believe? Because they were ordained to eternal life. Among whom, there were other believers that would obey the faith of the gospel in all the nations. You are part of them. Among whom, ye also are the called of Jesus Christ. Paul's ministry was it to go to the whole world indiscriminately, hoping that someone somewhere might believe his gospel? Or was Paul's ministry based on the elect's sakes and for them? Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 10. We're almost done. 2 Timothy 2.10. Look at what Paul said about his ministry. Oh, this is... The, 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 the scriptures come together so well if we'll read them and learn them. Look at 2 Timothy 2.8. 2 Timothy 2.8. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. Does that fit with Romans 1 decently? Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds. But the word of God is not bound. I'm persecuted and I'm imprisoned because I preach the gospel about Jesus Christ, the son of David. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure all things for the elect's sakes, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. There are two things that Paul wanted the elect to have, one of which God was going to give them and one of which he could give them. God was going to give them eternal glory. Paul was going to give them the salvation that is in the gospel. Therefore, I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. There's two things there. And Paul is not trying to make the elect equal to him. Paul is trying to get, help the elect get a second thing along with eternal glory. The word with. You can understand the verse better if you take the word with and make it along with. It's like James 2.1 that I used earlier that says, My brethren, have not, the faith of our, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ with respect of persons. It's along with. Don't have the religion of Jesus Christ along with respect of persons because those two things don't go together. Eternal glory is guaranteed by God. For whom he did foreknow, he predestinated, called, justified, and glorified. God makes sure of eternal glory. If God be for us, who can be against us? But there was another salvation that's the salvation we get when we hear the gospel. That salvation is one in our minds, in our understanding, in our obedience, in our assurance, in the increase of our faith. When we hear the message of salvation, it tells us about it. This is a division of words in the New Testament that is essential that we don't end up in believing in gospel regeneration. The Apostle Paul was not out to get names in the book of life because they've been written there before the foundation of the world. Nor was he trying to get anyone to have eternal glory like himself. God had already guaranteed that. What he was seeking to do was to bring them gospel salvation. Gospel salvation is knowing the good news about what God's done for you and what you can do for Him. It's the salvation that if you forget the gospel or let astray from it, you're lost again. First, First Timothy 4.16 Timothy, take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this thou shalt both 
Save thyself and them that hear thee. That's a salvation. There's a salvation in having the truth to be saved from error. That's the salvation of 2 Thessalonians 2.13. When Paul said we are bound to give thanks always. How about the word salvation in 1 Corinthians 15? By which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you. If you forget about the resurrection of the dead, how saved are you going to be on your deathbed? Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? If you forget about the resurrection of the dead, or you let a false teacher teach you that there is no resurrection of the dead, like they were at Corinth, you will lose your salvation. What salvation will you lose? You will lose your understanding that gives you hope. And if you lose your understanding that gives you hope, then you're going to face death without hope. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 2, By which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory. You're not going to lose your eternal glory because you, something leaves your memory. Thanks be to God for that. Amen. You know, it's, wow. You know, it's not, that you, it's not that you know or remember God. It's that He knows and remembers you. Amen. And if you think that He might have a bad memory, He put it in writing. Thank you, Jerry. Right? He put it in writing. He put our names in the book of life. He wrote it down. Our names are in the book of life. There is a written document. And it's in a better safety deposit box than yours is in. It's in heaven. And it's sealed with seven seals. And no man or angel in heaven or earth can open it except the Lord Jesus Christ. Back to Romans chapter 1. Among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. How do you know when someone's called? How do you know when someone's been chosen to eternal life, ordained to it, and appointed to it? How do you know? They believe the gospel. They believe the gospel. And so Paul was looking forward to meeting these Roman saints. Look, look at why he wanted to meet them. Verse 12. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. You Romans, I can't wait to get together with you. Wait till we have a service and we sing the songs of Jesus and we get to share the gospel with each other because we're all believers. We know that that proves that we've all been called and we know that called means we've all been chosen and ordained to eternal life. Do you know he doesn't say one syllable, and I'll have a whole lot more to say on this, that he wanted to get to Rome to go preach at the mall? Do you know he doesn't say a syllable about getting to Rome to go to the prisons? Do you know he doesn't say a syllable about preaching to anybody at Rome except the church at Rome? Look at verse 15. So as much as in me is... Now how much does that leave left over? So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. You say, well, that could mean the whole city. Really? I thought he just said that he wanted to preach to them that by their mutual faith they could comfort one another in the gospel. Why in the world would you ever want to preach the gospel to an unbeliever? For pleasure. For mutual comfort of your faith. You know, God has to give them a new heart to where they will believe. More, much more on that coming. We come, well, what we're at is verse 6. Among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. Paul received grace. Paul received the office of apostle. Paul went into all nations and so did the other apostles for the purpose of getting men to obey the doctrine of Jesus Christ. And who would obey it? Paul said, when I preach, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, when I preach, I am a savour of death unto death in some and a savour of life unto life in others. That's the effect of the preaching of the gospel. And what had, what had happened in Rome? 
There was a band of saints there, and it could have been more than one band that had proven that they were the called of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God for sending grace and apostleship to Saul of Tarsus and to others, that they, in turn, would bring the gospel to the nations for obedience to the faith among all those nations. And we're one of those nations. We're the called of Jesus Christ in Greenville, South Carolina. Paul said to all that be in Rome, was he writing this epistle to the whole city? Do you think it was published in Caesar's newsletter? The Roman Times... He's going to qualify who he's writing to, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. When we're chosen and we're appointed and we're ordained, we are chosen, appointed, and ordained from condemnation to salvation. But included in that salvation that we're appointed to, that eternal life, we are also chosen and appointed and ordained to live like saints, called to be saints. We are appointed and chosen and called and ordered by God to live the lives of separation and sanctification of holiness. So we have in verse 7 a slightly different angle on the word called as the word in verse 6. Verse 6 we understand to be the chosen, appointed, and ordained to eternal life. In verse 6 and then in verse 7 we are called to be saints. And that is a, that is a way that Paul opens up first epistle to the Corinthians. The same way God has appointed us to live the lives of saints. And with that, we should go home. God has sent his gospel to us, and that gospel is of Jesus Christ, of the seed of David. He is our Savior, and he's the glorified Son of God who sits at the right hand of God. The Apostle Paul and others were raised up by the grace of God and given the highest office this world has seen, the office of Apostle. And they took the gospel to all nations. Those among the nations believed it. Not all the nations. Just God's elect among the nations. Those ordained to eternal life believed it. And among that number of those who believed were the saints in Rome. And were the saints in Greenville. And so we can take verse 6 and say, well, I fit this book. Because I've been called of Jesus Christ as well. I've been ordained and appointed to eternal life. I know that God loves me as the seventh verse describes. I know that I've been called to be a saint. And so we should go out of this place wanting to live the life of a saint. And a saint is a sanctified person, meaning that they are separated unto God and are living a life of holiness. Because sanctification means holy and separated for the use of God. Thank you, Lord, for sending grace and apostleship to Paul, for taking it to all the nations. Do you know that mystery that I read in the last three verses of chapter 16? That mystery was that for thousands of years, the Jewish nation knew that they were the only objects of God's favor. And then that gospel came to us Gentiles. And if it wouldn't have been for that, we would be the darkest, blindest, idol-worshipping people you can imagine because our ancestors were. But praise be to God, He chose us from the beginning to sanctification of the Spirit giving us a holy new nature and belief of the truth which he sent to us by the beautiful feet of preachers so that we had a heart that loved the truth, we heard the truth, we believed the truth, we obeyed the truth, and we fulfill that fifth verse for obedience to the faith among all nations. And here we are today, 2,000 years later, fulfilling the fifth verse, just like the Roman saints were. 
And may God bless us to truly fulfill it by obeying the faith. That's right. It doesn't just say to believe it. It's not just to know it. It's to obey the faith. And may the Lord bless us to obey it with holy and separated lives. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Because all of it is for His name. God wanted to glorify His Son. And this is how He chose to glorify His Son. Is through the salvation of sinners. And the gospel going to Gentiles. And bringing them all in. Jews and Gentiles. There's no difference. Bond or free. Male or female. If we're, Abra- if, if we're Christ, then we're Abraham's seed. And we're heirs according to the promise. We're part of the tabernacle of David. And the son of David is our king. May the Lord bless us to live faithfully to our King. Amen.